Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast. Join Dr. Deb Gordon and Mary Hendrickson as they get real in wrestling with the topic of faith and mental health as we seek to understand what Jesus really means when he says, be well. On today's episode, we will talk about who we are, what we do, and why this conversation is important from the perspective of mental health professionals amidst our current cultural setting. Hi, Mary. Thanks Thanks for coming uh, into my office today. What what brings you in? Just kidding. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what I would say to a client if they were coming into my office. Yes, and you sounded very welcoming. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm so excited that we are doing this podcast and talking about this conversation around faith and mental health, and um, especially for both of us as mental health professionals Mm -hmm. and educators. But I think we should just kind of kick off with starting, you know, telling people who we are. So. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Dr. Deb Gorton. People call me Dr. Deb. You can call me Deb, Mary. Though, Thank we're you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I did my degree at Fuller Seminary out in California. Miss that weather every day. Mm-hmm. Now being in the heart of Chicago, but I've always really been passionate about this topic around how faith and mental health collide and what it means for you know us as whole beings, being both you know spiritual physical, but also emotional and psychological. Um, I have a private practice. I see clients regularly. I also oversee the master's in counseling program at the seminary I teach in, which is in the heart of the city of Chicago. And that's how we've gotten to meet each other and get to know each other. Um, And so I interact with teaching students about mental health and how this uh, conversation around faith and mental health just transforms. Um, And I've been to counseling myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit about me. Tell us about who you are. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dr. Mary Hendrickson, and um, I it, it's very difficult sometimes when I talk about like where I'm from and what you know because it's such a gamut of different things. But one of the things that uh, when we talk about mental health and we talk about it from a holistic standpoint is because I've seen it from all these different aspects and these different domains. Living in the inner city, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and went to the UW as my my undergrad. Huskies, um, right? Yes. Go Huskies. Seahawks, Huskies, all that. Um, But I've seen these different domains, and I've seen them from um, where I didn't know it was mental health, but I've also seen it in a domain in terms of spirituality and looking at how that intersects and how that actually is very exclusive of one another as well. So just kind of looking and thinking about all of the different domains, such as spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and how that fits in with who we are as Christians and that it's not— fragmented, but I've seen it throughout my life being fragmented. And professionally, when I talk to my student um, here at Moody in the undergraduate program and the pre-counseling program, we talk about how, how do, you know, how do we look at that? How does that integrate in terms of when I say I'm a Christian, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, and how does that look if I actually have an issue that's not directly addressed in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> right. In terms of, you know, bipolar is not addressed specifically in the Bible. And what does that look like? So, yeah, I've had a passion for mental health. And just like you said, Deb, um, I've gone to counseling as well. So, you know, they, you know, it's 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 a I've always heard you can't lead where you have not gone. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. I tell my students that all the time. Yes. Humility is one of our core dispositions in mm-hmm. our counseling program. And we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of our professional identities, but I'm really curious, um, you know, I was just thinking through as you were sharing that when I first 
started actually understanding or even hearing about this topic of mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me growing up, it wasn't necessarily something I'd been exposed to mm-hmm. until probably I hit maybe high school, yeah. middle school, high school. And the reason why is because my parents actually went back to school and became mental health professionals. Wow. My okay. dad was a pastoral counselor, just mm-hmm. like your background um, for a number of years. And then became a psychologist. And so I was kind of like the guinea pig in the household <laughs> as my parents were going through school and they had to do all these assignments. Right. <laughs> and like so the I, yeah, <laughs> I thought mental health was like this over analytical, like, let's figure out why you're thinking what you're thinking. I honestly don't know that I equated mental health with emotional health. Yeah. Until I was much older. And I always said that was the one thing I was never going to do, be a mm. psychologist or be a mental health counselor, because to me, it was just like you're always stuck in the mind and you're not really experiencing life. Mm. And then when I got a bit older and I kind of fully understood, well, I don't even know if I would say fully understood, but at least started to explore the topic and the conversation a little bit further and probably even more so got involved with um leading a small group at a church and really seeing how people were suffering and the things they were going through and kind of thinking, is the answer to this just to say, well, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying enough? Mm. That's really this this idea of like, who did God really design us to be? And what is his view of wholeness? And how do people like counselors or pastors or gosh, even small group leaders how do they come into that conversation? So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I think it was kind of this this ongoing experience of really starting to understand mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if I have all the answers today. I'm sure I don't, but I definitely understand it much differently than I did back then. Right, and that's the key, though. I don't think we'll ever fully understand it, you know, until Jesus comes, you yeah. know. But even... I didn't understand it until I had to go through it. So you mentioned earlier, and I mentioned earlier, how we both, you know, we've gone to counseling. And I remember being, um, having to take a test. It was, it was, this was the moment where I noticed, or it was this awareness of how, you know, my mental health seemed fragmented from my spiritual health and and not understanding how to integrate the two. But I remember sitting in um, one of my classes at the UW, my undergrad classes, I, class, I was 21 and I had a panic attack. At the time, I didn't know why. I didn't know what happened. But I remember I ran out of the classroom and did not know what to do. So from the, you know, we'll talk more about, you know, in terms, like you said, my background and your background. But from an African-American perspective and the way that I grew up, it was then where I thought, if I don't get this together, it will be an indictment on my on my uh, identity as a Christian, right? So if I have anxiety... I'm not a good Christian. Oh, yeah. I'm not trusting God enough, you know. So that's when it became this whole journey for me where I had to start thinking, okay, I know this scripture and I know this scripture. Do not be anxious for anything, but for everything. You know, I know all of the scriptures in terms of what God told me. And I would echo them back, but I would still feel anxious. Mm Mm-hmm. I would still feel depressed. And that was very eye-opening for me and actually pretty painful for me because I had to kind of shave off and we'll talk about how to skim off and break out of that idea that there are these fragmented pieces and that that God's not interested in our mental health. Yeah. We take those scriptures out of context, right? Like I can think of so many times people kind of stop short of that, mm-hmm. be anxious about nothing, mm-hmm. and they kind of don't continue on. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, so what does it mean if I am anxious? Right. And for me, I, I was thinking, 
I always heard that message of God's never going to give you anything more than you, you can, can handle. handle right? right. And so <laughs> I, I think for me that, that where I went to counseling, and so a big part of my story is when I was growing up, um, unfortunately in my 20s, my mom suffered from significant mental health challenges and mm. ended up taking her own life mm. in my, my late 20s. And I remember there was this point in time where I was literally lying face down in my apartment I was living halfway across the country when it happened. Mm. Um, and I just remember the, telling God, like, you're just going to have to swallow me whole because I can't take on the full responsibility of everything that's falling apart around me. Yeah. But that was my first thought was it was my responsibility, responsibility to right. fix. And yeah. Yeah. thankfully, I was, you know, I had just graduated with my doctorate. I was doing my internship and my supervisor, you know, had enough wisdom to say, you need to take a break and you need to get yourself in counseling or you're not going to be able to to be effective in this profession. Yeah. And so as I started going to counseling and really at that point starting to learn, and I went to a Christian counselor because in my mind, I thought that's what I had to do. Right. And, you know, I think there's a whole lot around like, what type of counselor do I go to? Do I go to a Christian counselor? What are the different levels of counseling that, mm-hmm. that we're going to tackle as we go through this podcast? But for me, it was so impactful to go to a clinical mental health counselor who was also a Christian mm-hmm. because she understood that idea that I was a holistic being right. and I'd taken a lot of messages in the Bible mm-hmm. and applied them to my life in very unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Right, because when we take the messages in the Bible, they usually come from, it's always from our experiences and our schema or our, our understanding of what they are based on our experiences, right? So whenever, you know, I, you know, go through something, I always take the scriptures that, you know, especially being a, an African-American woman, you know, just suck it up type of scripture. Be strong. <laughs> right. You be strong going, and be yeah. courageous and keep going, right? And not understanding the fullness of what that means in scripture, like you said, especially through tragedies, you know, that, you know, that you describe and that, that we've gone through where it can't actually be um, re-traumatizing when we actually use scriptures out of context with our patients or with our clients, right? It could be very re-traumatizing because we then, especially for me, I remember when I started, uh, and we'll talk about, you know, all the different traumas that, you know, Deb, you know me, I'm very transparent. You're very transparent. So we'll talk about the different traumas that that I've gone through. But but what would happen is when people would use scripture to try to... uh, uh, make me feel better or use scripture to make me feel as if uh, this will heal you, what they did was minimize my experience, yes. right? And then what would happen, I would feel paralyzed and guilty that I wasn't good enough for God, Yeah, right? So it ended up backfiring and it ended up eventually having, I, I would then look at God like, well, clearly I'm not good enough for you, right? But this is piled on top of people saying there, I'm not good enough for them, right? right? And I'm not good enough in itself. So of course, I'm going to project that onto God, say, okay, well, you're just like everyone else. I'm not good enough, you know? And that, so so scripture was used oftentimes as a weapon, yeah, right? As a weapon. And rather than this space of healing and integration and understanding that even when Jesus walked this earth, he used so many different ways to speak to us and so many different different ways to to facilitate, you know, the healing in our lives, right? And, you know, I always tell people, I was like, sometimes he's looking at, you know, he's like, listen, we're not cutting off ears up in here, okay? <laughs> 
And then sometimes it's like, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming. To, I'm going to your house. I'm having some food. Yeah. Right? He, he talked to all of us so differently. But then certain church, you know, the certain churches, and I, I you know, and I don't mean to, to, this is not about indicting the church or anything like that, but sometimes what we can do is look at one way of facilita- facilitating healing when, in fact, Jesus did it in so many different ways, mm-hmm. right? It's so true. And it's interesting how you talk about people, you know, kind of putting Scripture on you or speaking out of the context of what they think is a biblical mandate, like mm-hmm. a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And so often I think that it's because they're uncomfortable absolutely, with our suffering, right? Like they don't know how to step into that yeah. with us. And so in order to actually minimize their own discomfort, right. they're trying to give you a solution because as long as you're not suffering— I'm okay. Right. And so that that comes out of that conversation. And like you said, it only serves to invalidate and minimize our experiences, mm-hmm. which is which is so painful. So and but that's the thing too. It's not just they're uncomfortable with our um pain. They are uncomfortable with addressing their own pain. Yeah. Right? Because when yeah. you see someone else's pain, that makes you some—oftentimes that makes you have to face your own job. Yeah, it's like a mirror. Absolutely. And that's why you and I always talk about that, the 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 importance of going to counseling. Because yeah. if you're not aware of your own stuff, that's going to get projected on or transferred to that other person. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, so let's transition for a second. I want to talk about why— we see ourselves as kind of able to talk into this topic. And a big part of what we do in our day-to-day lives is we're educators, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, that's one of the things that um, is really important to me with my students. As I mentioned earlier, humility is one of our core dispositions. Yeah. And um, so I teach graduate students, you teach undergraduate students, mm-hmm. both in counseling. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how you talk to your students about counseling, but for me, if I hear my students minimize or say, I don't need to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a red flag for me right. that they probably shouldn't be in this profession. But why do you think counseling is so important? And, and you know, what, what did it do for you? You know what? I, for me, it allowed me to see another way that God speaks. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where, so there's so many facets to this, but the first, first and foremost, that's it. Where, I have seen God use someone else as a vessel to show how much He loves me. Mm. Their dis- when you talk about disposition, their ability to listen, their ability to to be there unconditionally, to show up, their ability to have un- uh, a positive regard, right? Is, yeah. is what we call it, right? So all of these different facets and disposition uh, dispositions of how God is. And how it was actually communicated to me and and given to me, showed me different ways how God can can actually comfort us, right, yeah. in the midst of that. And so that's important in that sense in terms of just seeing who God is and vastness and how, vastness and how he works. But it's important because in our society, we tend to believe that we have it together. We are perfect at wearing masks. I, well, I am. I, I know. know Other than, it's everybody else. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. I tell my students this all the time. It does not matter whether you're perfect at your coping mechanisms, whether the de- denial, regression, repression, suppression, all the Eschens, right? <laughs> all the Eschens. I'm totally using that one from now on. <laughs> it will bleed out. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. It's like that scene. Did you ever watch The Office? 
I just started watching it. Okay, one of my students made me put that in my PowerPoint. Oh yeah, you got okay. So there's this scene where one of the characters, there's, they have a chili cook-off. Okay, and he's walking in and he spills his chili everywhere, and he's trying to clean it up and like put it back in the pot, and it's just getting messier and messier. And that's always Ooh. the picture in my mind when I think about us trying to hold all of ourselves together. Yes, I like messy love that. chili. It's messy, but the whole point. But here's the cold part. Here's the part that I love. We can learn how to sit in our junk yeah. and still be effective and still do what God called us to do. But we're scared to sit in our junk. Yeah, We're scared to sit in other people's junk. This is what I tell my students. I say, listen, my intro to counseling, this is the profession of sitting in other people's junk. Mm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> well, and, and I think for me, that was what was one of the most impactful experiences in counseling was, mm-hmm. you know, we're both. Women, mm-hmm. you're African-American, I'm a Caucasian, so we have a little bit of a different experience there. But as women, you know, I think we feel a lot of pressure to have it all together and Absolutely. to be strong. Absolutely. And when I went to counseling, it was like, oh, my gosh, I can be myself. Right. And it didn't happen right away. I needed to get to know this person sure. and feel safe and feel comfortable. But as I started to kind of open the doors into who I was mm-hmm. and she welcomed me and validated my experiences, yes. I could sit in my mess because this other person was willing to sit in the mess with me. Yes. And that's what it requires this uh, to be one of, one of the ways to be whole is to be emotionally authentic. Mm, yeah. But we're not on an everyday basis. One, we don't have space for that. Two, we are indoctrinated in our culture to, to, to like I said, put on a mask and put on as women, you know, put on our, you know, our, our cape as super women. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, especially as black women, be that strong black woman, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's there's historical content um, that is attached to that. And so what we end up doing is that we take on that narrative and then we play out that whole scene. Yeah. For years, not realizing we're just playing into and the, the the constant trauma, right? Here's what what the concern the, the concern is is not the fact that you're just hurting yourself and you're 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 stifling your growth, but you're also hurting other people in the process. So there's debris everywhere. So oh, yeah. you know, yeah. for example, you know, it wasn't until I became a mom. So I have a 14 year old, a very, very, very 14 year old. <laughs> I love my baby. We love. Though. We love Amaya. Um, but she's a 14 year old, and I say that in in a way where I had to look at myself in so many different ways. Um, when I became a mom, even from day one, because when you you know a lot, if you know all of the parents out there, they know that your stuff is then on, you know. It's highlighted to the 50th degree when you have a child. You feel like whatever they do is a reflection of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or they can say one thing and you remember your childhood. Mm. And this is a five-year-old saying they don't like your hair or something, right? Or I was talking to my daughter the other day. It was very interesting because I've been praying in terms of, you know, helping me and uh, be a better mom and all these different things that I, I usually do in my morning prayer in terms of being a parent. And one of the things that he pointed out to me is that I sometimes can project my hurt onto my daughter and because of stuff that is unresolved. So, for example, if my daughter, she's like I said, she's 14. So I, you know, I've gotten the I hate you I, that for the first time, Aww. like last month. Right. But 
I was I was thinking, why is this so painful for me? It, you know, because it's painful for mothers to hear that. But for me, it just felt like, and I don't want to I don't want to minimize anybody else's experience. But for me, it felt like just heart wrenching. And what I ended up understanding is that as an African American woman, I hear so many. Um, uh, t- I, I've heard in my lifetime so many voices that. Uh, would uh, tell me that I'm not good enough, mm. that would say that you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not you're not fit to be in this space. Wow, yeah. So then when your daughter says it in the innocent teenage way, because it's part of her developmental, uh, you know, journey. She's all in that emotional part of her brain right now. Absolutely, <laughs> right? <laughs> we got a while into that prefrontal <laughs> cortex grows fully. I'm praying for you. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um. I interpret that as another person trying to hurt me and put me down. I, wow. I, I see that as a pejorative way, and I take that personally, right? And so here's the thing. We don't know—if I didn't know my own stuff and know that there is my daughter who's growing up, and this is part of her journey as a teenager, versus this is what the world has said, and this is how I've been hurt by the world, I can get those two things mixed up mm-hmm. and they, or, or conflate them. Yeah. And then my own daughter becomes the enemy because I'm not aware of my own junk. Yeah. Right? So that's how oftentimes we can—the reason why we should go to counseling is not just for us, but we're also passing on our junk and our trauma to other people. Kind of like generational patterns of behavior that maybe God called out, like starting in the Old Testament. Exactly. (laughs) But it's interesting. You know, um, one of the therapists that works with me, he teaches our interns something called a brokenness timeline. Mm. And I love it because the idea behind it is that um, in working with clients, you kind of go through— to your earliest memory, your childhood experiences. And at some point in our lives, all of us have a point of brokenness that Mm -hmm. we remember. We're broken from day one because we live in a fallen world, right? But we all have a memory of of that distinct brokenness and out of it, an identity that we placed upon ourselves that's that's not true. Right. Whether it's I don't belong or I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. or I'll never, I'll always be alone or I'm, you know, not lovable. Yeah. And so... Like you said, with counseling, it can help us confront and really add context to where those false identities come from. And, you know, I think something else is really interesting. I love how you said we all leave this kind of destructive path of debris (laughs) around us. because we So we talked about both being women. Mm -hmm. But I also think, uh, you know, this concept of emotions— you know, we, we mm. as women can maybe get the bad rap for being too emotional, mm-hmm. the stereotypical too emotional woman. Mm-hmm. But I think the flip side of that is men can't show emotion. Yeah. And so I don't want to also give the impression this is just something for women. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of men who have deep, very valid, painful yes. emotions that they feel like they have to stuff. Yes. And it it really impacts their identities mm-hmm. and their functioning as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just think that's really critical, that, that understanding of, you know, emotions serve a purpose. Yes. They're meant to be yes. a part of our lives. Good, bad, right, wrong. Those don't exist. It just emotions are. They are. I tell my students that all the time, especially, especially when they come from a context. Some of them come from a context where you can't be anything but happy. 
<laughs> right? You can't exhibit anything but joy. Yeah. If not, you are, you know, they become one of Job's friends. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> yeah. You got everything going on around you. What did you do? Just, just say, I'm sorry and keep it pushing. Right? <laughs> And they will attach it to to their Christian identity. But in reality, when you look at the life of Jesus, he exhibited the whole range. The gamut. Yes. All emotions. emotions. Anger, sadness, fear. Yes. The brother was flipping tables. (laughs) (laughs) It was righteous anger. (laughs) But it was anger. But it was anger. But why, as Christians, we suppress our feelings and our emotions. And we think, you know, that they're only, well, you know, we know it's a societal expectation but we only we feel as if we can only show one or two and a lot and going back to your point with men you know they have been indoctrinated trained to believe or indoctrinated to believe that that's the only you know you can only show you know only a couple of emotions and then that defines you and that's the totality of who you are yeah and it's a societal pressure. It's it's it's, it's a so- social expectation, right? Where and it's erroneous, obviously, because that's what's again causing all that debris, right? Then we teach our kids not to be able to show their emotion, especially depending on the gender, mm-hmm. you know, or showing too much emotion or not enough or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I start off one of my classes by asking students day one, first thing I say when they come into class. Yeah. I say, What emotions are wrong? Mm. And do you know, I've never had a class where somebody didn't throw out a couple ideas. Like they honestly start saying like, well, anger or fear. Mm. And again, you know, I want to make sure that people understand the context here. I'm teaching people who identify as Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's sort of this misunderstanding Mm -hmm. of emotional experiences where, like you said, your students Mm -hmm. feel like they have to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. And that translates to if I'm not happy, then these emotions are wrong. And I don't know about you, but if I were to will myself to not feel an emotion, mm-hmm. I'd fail every right. single time. Every si- and I have tried, yeah, and I have failed. <laughs> I'm crying in my counselor's office. But the thing about it is that emotion, again, you said, it alerts us. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It alerts us that something is great sometimes. Right? Something, it's not necessarily that something is wrong. Yeah. Something is great. Something, you know, there's so many. to be celebrated. Yes. Or even having, you know, I use the example of having passion or being very angry about something. Those are those social justice individuals, right? Where you're passionate about something and you're angry about something. That can be used in great ways. Or, you know, if you are, you know, feeling sad about something. Those are, you know, those are our empathic individuals, right? I feel so deep. And I kid you not, I mean, to a point where I'll see a squirrel eating by himself and I'll start crying. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming that he's lonely. Are you a four on the Enneagram? You know what? Somebody said I'm a three or four. We might have to have a whole podcast. Right. That's a whole different podcast. I'm a three, which means we don't like emotions. The irony of being a therapist. That is funny. I like other people's emotions, but Just not your own. No, not so much. You know what? I think I'm probably like... You're probably a a four-wing three, but I digress. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting. empathy piece is okay. But I got told in the context that I was in, like, no, you do not show sadness or empathy. You got to be tough because, you you know, you grew up in this specific context. You have to be tough. But for me, you know, I I was very, I'm a very sensitive person, Mm -hmm. right? And so oftentimes we see that as an alert, as something necessary, sometimes bad, where, you know, empathy is a great thing, right? Yeah. And anger. 
anger can be as well. Yeah, it's we kind of had this message in our head of if I'm not this way, then this will happen. So yeah. if you weren't tough, what would what was the message? If that I you... wasn't tough, I, I'm going to be eaten, right? Oh, either yeah. right, either I'm I'm a sheep, you know, I'm one of the sheep, or I'm the wolf, right? And it's one of those things, especially growing up in the inner city, where we didn't have space to show emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have space to show um, fear. That wasn't even part of our language. It's a badge of honor to say that I was not scared. Yeah. It's a badge of honor to say that you are not going to do X, Y, and Z. I will do that to you first, right? And it was a part of survival. So I want to say it in a way that is not, you know, I want to look at it in a way where it's, uh, we can understand what happens in, in, the, in, in the inner city in those type of contexts. It's a, it's a piece of survival. Oh, yeah. So it's actually meant— this is how good God is. It's actually meant to be um, for our survival. We, it's we a motivator. Take, right, it's, right. And it's, you know, we talk about the fight, flight, or freeze in the amygdala, right? And that is one of the dangers coming. Therefore, I have to learn either to fight or flee or freeze. Yeah. We had to learn how to fight. We had to learn how to fight. So the great thing, the, the reason why I say God is good is because he's given us those mechanisms to say, something is wrong. I have to do something. Mm-hmm. But the problem happens when we try to use those same strategies in new contexts. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because emotion is, it's very much, it's, it's an information tool. Right. If we use it, you know, in the way God intended, when we feel emotions, it's an opportunity to kind of pause and to evaluate and to say what's going on. So I think about, you know, you were saying, and growing up, I got the message that I had to be strong and tough, and therefore emotions were not allowed at the table. Mm-hmm. And so when I felt an emotion, you know, the the message or the context was stuff it in mm-hmm. order to survive. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I think about it, in my childhood, my message to me was I don't belong. So my, mm. my story is I'm adopted, and I had amazing parents. My mom, you know, struggled with mental illness later in life, but my childhood foundation was just really solid. And yet that message was still there. And so if I felt anxious or lonely or afraid, that was the message that crept into my into my mind mm. was you better earn your right to be here because you could be easily rejected, you know? Yeah. So it's amazing how our different contexts still can produce these messages that we carry with us and these identities that we carry with us yeah. the rest of our lives. Yeah. So I want to transition to kind of our last topic for this podcast, which is we've kind of been talking about it, but why do you think this conversation around faith and mental health is so important? You know what? I tell my students that the good thing about counseling or good thing about therapy is that you will always have a job. The bad thing is you will always have a job. (laughs) (laughs) So true. You know, it is, it it has, we've had a Band-Aid on mental health for so long. And because our world is changing, and not to say that, you know, centuries ago, we shouldn't have been talking about mental health, but because our world is changing and because things are becoming more evident with school shootings and, you know, all of the the, the societal ills um, seem to get bigger and bigger every year, mm-hmm. you know, at least seemingly, um, we're starting to see the repercussions of that. Yeah. And people are now trying to understand what is going on because it's not just the thing that this there's just a... Uh, this experience that they're unrelated, it's, it's unrelated or they can't reach. You know, we're, they're experiencing sh- their, their, their friends being killed, their yeah. schoolmates. Yeah. They're experiencing 
Um, you know, even we talk about the coronavirus, they're experiencing all of that, you know, for me, 9-11, it's getting to a point where um, individuals are now starting to see the repercussions of the ills of our society. Oh, yeah. Well, and yeah. I think even we have, you know, information at our fingertips. And that Nothing makes it ten is times censored, worse. it right. seems like, anymore. I mean, right. even in our current political climate, mm-hmm. you know, I think— whether you fall on either side of the political spectrum, I think we can all agree that it's produced a lot more conflictual yeah, information. Yeah. And it's brought a lot of things that have historically existed in our country, like yeah. racism yeah. and oppression of minority people groups mm-hmm. that, you know, to the surface. Mm-hmm. This has always been existing, but now Absolutely. we're seeing it Absolutely. every single day. Yes, um, And... We have to, it, I mean, to me, I feel like as as believers, it is our responsibility mm-hmm. to respond yeah. to the mental health crisis because yeah. God said, I am calling you to be well yes. holistically. And we cannot neglect how much our mind and our emotions play into our total well-being. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, there's so much going on and it's causing so much so much anxiety. And it's causing people to question God yeah. and who God is. Yeah. So even in our work in in terms of integrating psychology and uh theology is 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 extremely important at this point. Yeah. Right? Because people are seeing so much destruction and literally seeing so much destruction even if it's online, they're questioning God in ways that they haven't before, right? There's a saying that um, there's no such thing as an atheist when you're in a foxhole, Mm. right? And so people before that are even, you know, they didn't even believe in God. They're starting to see these things. They're like, okay, so let's talk about this whole creation thing because I cannot comprehend or I cannot process this. And that's why I think it's so important for us to be there and allow them, again, like I said, to sit in all of these feelings and all this junk that they are feeling. Mm -hmm. Because we're taught to look at all this, right? All of this information we have coming at us, whether in in real life or constantly online, and then get up every morning, put on a happy face, and go to work. Yeah, (laughs) and look like nothing's going on (laughs) whatsoever. Right, That is going to, like I said, eventually spill out. I'm never, you know, it's sad, but I'm never um, shocked when I hear I'm saddened, but but I'm I'm rarely shocked any longer when I hear something tragic that happens with someone that people always say they seem so normal. Mm-hmm. We gotta we yeah. gotta get out of that. We do. Yeah, yeah. We gotta recreate that narrative. Yeah. I, you know, I, so my church is pretty open to talking about mental health, which mm. I really appreciate. And Good. a couple months ago, they the the pastor preached a sermon on mental health, and I was amazed. I actually I wasn't. But I was. Yeah. Because I don't see this in churches very often, so I guess maybe from that perspective. But they opened our prayer hall, Mm. and the line was out the door for people who wanted to come in and be prayed over and to find resources for mental health. And so I think, you know, one of the things that we're going to explore during this season of this podcast is what does the church Mm. do in response to our mental health crisis? What aren't they doing? What can they be doing? And so, you know, as you've said um, so well, we we just can't avoid talking about this topic. And yeah. so I'm excited to dive in more. I think yeah. we've got a lot of really interesting things on the table. Absolutely. Thank you for coming to my office. Would you like to schedule an appointment for next week? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
love to like I, I love the metaphorical couch thing. We can't stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. We should just take this whole thing to my office because I have a great couch. Exactly. Today. I just show up sometimes to Deb's couch. I really do. And she just opens the door and I'm just sitting there. Anyway. And it's always confidential, right? But the podcast isn't just remember like we're we're broadcasting this to the world. Oh, this is exciting. Awesome. Well, we've got another episode coming up for you soon, but uh, hopefully you've gotten to know a little bit about us in this introduction here. All right. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>